This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. On today's episode, TV reporter Joe Otterson talks with executive producers Taika Waititi and Paul Sims of the new FX comedy, What We Do in the Shadows. Later, critics Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Framke will discuss Amazon's Hannah and NBC's Abby's. Later, Joe and I will talk about Apple's upcoming announcement in which the tech company is expected to reveal plans for its new television streaming service. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Joe Otterson from Variety. I'm here today with the very funny, the very talented Mr. Paul Sims and Mr. Taika Waititi from uh, What We Do in the Shadows coming up on FX. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good. I'm good. Don't know about you. Are you good? I'm you, good. You I'm happy good. To be you said it. You said it. Everybody's good. That's good. Uh, so first, my my most probing question. First, what is it that we do in the shadows? I don't know what you do, but <laughs> I know what I do. And well, the title actually pertains to the those characters, what they do in the shadows. Was there we, ever we, another we, title? I mean, we tried. I we goes... tried very hard to find another title. We call it what we do in the shadows based on an interview that we did in the very first short film thing that we did in two thousand and three. And uh, it just sort of stuck. And we kept trying for through, even through editing the feature. We just couldn't find 2003. This is one name. of the longest gestating TV projects. There, this goes back to to 2004. But, but even I think before we you shot... did the short film, you guys did it on stage. Oh yeah, that's right. It was a stand-up, a stupid stand-up thing where Jermaine would play um, a vampire stand-up, and then I was his. Rival, his vampire rival, and I'd be in. The, I'd hide in the in, in the crowd and start heckling him. <laughs> I've heard this joke before. It's not funny. <laughs> and then he'd say, "Who? I know that heckle." And um, then and then would and then I'd come up on stage and we'd sort of have this uh, sort of rivalry, this heckle stand-up fight. And how big were the audiences you were doing this for? Oh, I mean, anywhere between five and six people. <laughs> So, oh, it's, it's harder to hide in that many people as a vampire. But so then, um, you, that's how the, that's how this all kind of like the genesis of this idea. But then, um, once you released the film, like, how did you decide like we want to do this as a show, or was it just kind of you had? I've heard you say you had like over a hundred hours of footage from the movie, right? Yes, hundred and fifty yeah. hours. Yeah, it keeps going up in ten, ten, <laughs> in increments of ten it's hours. Uh, it started off. We had over 30 hours of footage in that. By now, it's like, what, 150? Here we but go. We, did. Oh, we, left, we left all the cameras running. So we did. We had like, multiple versions of every scene. And the editor who's editing the, the TV version is the same editor who did the film. And she, uh, she she's can... had a lot of experience working in this world, in this universe. Working and working with Jermaine and I. Yeah. Uh, notoriously difficult. Because we're too separate. Um, but brains. you're about to say, how did the how did the uh, uh, movie then become the TV show? And then Taika was going to go into his Scott Rudin made him do it story. <laughs> oh, I've changed that story. Oh, really? You got a new one? I don't. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I don't want him to think that he did actually make. I mean, even he did make us do it. But <laughs> I'm changing that story now. So I made him do it. That's all I started telling him. Well, you you got to make the show. You what have you ever done? <laughs> this is going to be. This is going to kickstart your career, Scott. And then he he buckled under pressure. And then, um, what's been the best thing? He was in Hawaii thing? having his his new baby, and uh, <laughs> I kept calling him at three a.m. But so then, what's been the best thing? And what's been the worst thing about adapting a movie for TV? It's not really. A, it's more of a spin-off, I guess you'd call it. Like, how would you describe this in relation to the film? 
It's stiff. It's a spin-off. It's within the universe. I mean, I like yeah. talking about thinking about it like that. It's um, yeah. It's that's a spin-off in that they're they're the it's none not not the characters from the movie, but in the same universe, right? You same know? So our characters from the film still exist right. and are around at the time of filming of of this TV show. So mm-hmm. you know, there's a chance that they could there's a crossover and they could meet up, and you know, there's a chance that the, the werewolves from the film could turn up in this show. Um, yeah, so anyone could turn up. The best thing, I mean, for me, I, I came, Taika and Jermaine had already, this was fully formed and they'd already done the movie and everything. So the best thing for me was coming into this with uh, having seen the movie and knowing the movie was funny and having worked with them before and not not having to start from scratch and having specific rules sort of built in. And that's what Jermaine is a, very, is a big stickler on rules. He's a stickler on the rules of vampire behavior. Stickling. Yeah. That vampires stickling, stickling in general is very, very, very stickling, stickling. And yeah. obviously, since they've been talking about it for over a decade, you know, when we sat down to write scripts for the show, you know, someone would say, "Well, what if they?" What, okay, so the vampires are having a snack, and Jermaine's like, "No, vampires cannot eat human food; they'll get violently ill." They can um, talk about snacks, and but a snack could it. be like a little, you know, a shot of blood, or like I like that they could get a little cubes of blood and freeze oh. them. And that could be kind of like I think if Jermaine were here, he might accept that. But it would be a 45-minute discussion. We've talked about that. We've talked about it. At great great length. But that, um, so I've heard the show described as a horror comedy. Do you think think that's accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, horrible comedy. Absolutely (laughs) right. That's exactly what it's like. Well, no, because one thing. Why should people see this? They shouldn't. (laughs) Just horrible. No, No, it's 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 very funny. That is. I think that's a good description because it's definitely not a spoof or a parody of horror movies. It's really. It is. It's like our real world, but if one thing were different, which is that vampires actually existed in it. So it's. So it's not making fun, even though there are sort of references to things in old, you know, in horror movies. It's not like uh, uh, making fun of that genre as much as what if what we, what if the supernatural were real? Mm-hmm. And what are the more funny, mundane aspects of it that we never look at and usually they're usually mm-hmm. examined. Well, it's one thing I want, yeah, because in the first episode alone, I mean, like, a good number of people die and it's fairly bloody, and so I'm just wondering, like, just kind of balancing out the bloodlust versus the comedy in this, like, how do you kind of walk the line? There was one, you know, it's interesting because FX uh, from, I think from before we shot the pilot said, don't be afraid to make it, I mean, they do kill people, don't be afraid to shy away Mm -hmm. from the horror stuff. Um, There was one thing in the pilot that we shot that ended up, it was a it's a joke about uh, that they kept some victims in a room and that they mm-hmm. were half drained and stuff and then we wanted to show the victims with their the they were trying to like you would do with food in a refrigerator at the office they're writing the date on their foreheads in sharpie marker and who and who first um, bit the victim yeah who first bit the victim and <laughs> whose, whose food that was yeah and when does it expire and then we, we shot that and when we edited it together we're like oh my gosh this looks really grim yeah. <laughs> so there's a little you get a taste of it in the pie but other than that but then well, much, like in, much, yeah like in the film like the the you know when the girl gets um like my character Murders. Let's use the word. Yeah. Murders this this woman, but for food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's that Monty Python, the Pythoness blood that just keeps yeah. going and going and going. Like that is no one has ever complained that that because no. there's just something so ridiculous about that. But the idea of seeing people trapped in in in, yes. in the dungeon <laughs> of this house in Staten yeah. Island, yeah. just, just begging, exactly, <laughs> just begging to get out. It's darker and it's not funny. 
Well, then just also just, you know, in kind of keeping in that same line, one thing I really liked about this that I also really enjoy about FX is they seem to have given you guys a, a pretty, uh, lot of, or a lot of leeway, rather, with uh, language. Because I know there was, like, some cursing in the film. It obviously wasn't, like, the main, you know, focus of the film. But just did you get any, like, how much direction have you gotten from them in that sense? They were they, they were great about it. And, and I also do Atlanta with them, and that was also an early discussion. But they said just... I think FX is more now like HBO than it is like a, a regular broadcast network. Which is, uh, which, uh, and both of them are still like um, really safe children's comics compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. America's still very sensitive about this. There's definitely yeah. words that we wouldn't be able to use. I feel like, like back on, on Concords. On Concords, there was hardly uh, there was like one episode that had some bad words. That was when like reset, like Murray, like yeah. He, and I remember it really he bomb, and everyone was shocked. It <laughs> yeah. was just, it felt so out of place. And I didn't really notice it on this until I showed the pilot in the second episode to my eight year old and six year old. And like five minutes in, I I was like, oh boy, I forgot uh, how many yeah. bad words there are in this. But whatever, I've heard it before. <laughs> And then um, this next one, this isn't so much a question, just as, as much as a thank you on my part, uh, just for putting Matt Berry in the show, because oh, yeah. I'm a huge, huge Matt Berry fan. I've been waiting for something like this to come along for him here in America. And so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, thank well, you to Matt as well for thank, saying yes. Yeah. yeah. No, he's so he's so good. And he's he, I feel like in America, he's someone that comedy, and I'm not going to say comedy nerds, even though I just said it, comedy aficionados. Comedy needs. <laughs> Comedy need people who know uh, uh, like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place or or Toast of London. He's mm-hmm. just fantastic, and that was the one character that Jermaine had in, and Taika and everyone had in mind when writing the pilot script. Everyone else was sort of people we found, but but Matt, that character was written for Matt, and that character is Matt. He's just funny. Kayvan, I think he he was one of the first auditions we got. He was. And it was like yeah. a self tape or something. Yeah, and he was he just stood out right away. And, and since his one was one, I think it came in the first day, and um, I remember Jermaine saying, "Oh man, I think this is just we should just get this guy." Yeah, <laughs> and, and then we spent weeks and weeks looking at everyone else, and it's still like, "No, no one's as good as he is." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say not to diminish the performances because everyone on the show is great. So, uh, Kay Van, uh, Natasha, Mark, um, and then Harvey, right? Harvey Guillen is, yeah. is uh, Guillermo, and so I'm just kind of wondering, like, how did they did they like all come together? You said Kay Van kind of sent in a tape. Was it just Auditioning or yeah, yeah everyone auditioned. Um, we had to ask Matt to audition. I forgot we got a big deal. He's got a big deal over there. I can see that. Audition. You've seen what I can do. I give him my voice. I think Matt only had to audition because someone else involved wasn't familiar with who Matt Barrow is. We're like, just trust us. He's great. And then they saw his audition. Natasha's audition was great because she just, I don't, she just ad libbed and improvised an entire backstory of her character being from a small village where she used to sing to keep the snakes calm and like yeah. it was it was all that's right I did, I did get her call back and I was Skyping in from LA and she was in London and I was pretending and like had my computer screen in the room as if I was interviewing her mm-hmm. and like it was such a weird thing I was like okay and can you tell us about, okay tell us more about that and then she just kept going and it went on and on and um and yeah, that's that's the sign of someone like someone you want in that, this kind of show. Someone who can is just not afraid to keep talking. But it's also interesting because she's improvising. It's it's she's improvising with the accent and also in a character of a two hundred year old. Yeah, her thing, backstory right? has got to be like, yeah. yeah four times longer than anyone any other actor. <laughs> so it's a story. hard thing to do. And then Mark Proch, uh, Jermaine had the idea for the energy vampire, and I'd seen Mark on. Uh, Tim and Eric stuff and mm-hmm. the show on cinema at the cinema, which I think is fantastic. And he just seemed perfect for it. I think, I think, uh, yeah, he was, 
I think he auditioned. Yeah, he must have auditioned because some people didn't know who he was. But he's, I don't want to say he's that guy because he's a very funny <laughs> guy. But he does have a real gift for improvising, improvising boring stuff that's still funny, that never mm. crosses the line and being, into being too silly and never gets so boring that it's actually just boring. But, yeah. Hmm. I remember when I first heard like what his character was supposed to be, and I was like, well, "How's that going to work?" And I watched, and I was like, "Oh, that's how that works." Yeah, because yeah, yeah, he just nails it. And then Harvey was the, that character Nandor's familiar right was, at the end, right? It was right at the end because he was originally written uh, as an old, an older person that had been, you know, who was in his forties or something that had worked for him forever. But we just couldn't find the right one, and then Harvey came at the end. And there's a real like. Uh, Sweetness. I mean, you feel. I mean, he's disposing of bodies, but you still you feel bad for the guy, um, and he's funny. And uh, something you had touched on a little bit earlier, but I, I wanted to go back to was um, you said this isn't really supposed to be like a spoof of like other horror movies or like other vampire stuff, but you do kind of poke fun at some of those things. Like I know in the first episode where they're talking about like putting glitter all over themselves, you know, mm-hmm. like in Twilight. Mm-hmm. And so I mean. How much of an influence did, like, you know, other kind of prominent vampire stuff have on that? Is it just, like, how much fun is it to poke fun at those things? Like, how much of that will there be, like, throughout the show? I feel like a lot of it is just when you're watching a a real scary, genuine vampire movie, a lot of it is the questions that come up that you think later, like, well, you know, well, how do they pay their, you know, rent? Or, you know, does does no one, does everyone assume that's an empty house and they just stay there? You know, just Yeah, and when they travel, do they have to have all these little stop-off places to hide on the ways, and, you know, when the sun starts coming up? They have to have, like, safe houses all around the world. Like, how would you do anything that we normally do in in the real world if you had all these constrictions on you? Um, I think also that the... uh, uh, I think that's also... I mean, you know, I've never said this before to Taika, but I loved Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I think it's really one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. But it's also, there's a similar thing where it exists in that Marvel universe and there's superheroes, but there is a lot of humor in just the stuff that's usually left out of those big action movies, which is the mundane stuff and the small conversations and the mm. small arguments. And I think Yeah, Thor is, um, is basically after hours. It's a, rich, yeah. it's a rich kid stuck in the ghetto trying to get home because <laughs> someone's in his house and he needs to sort that out. That, but I, just, really I also hard. remember thinking from that very first scene in, in Thor when he's he's hanging from the chain and right. he's spinning around and he's like, "Hang on, I'll wait till I spin around the other way." It's just it's it's not making fun of those movies, but what if they were twenty percent more real and they had the same problems <laughs> right. as, as we have. Yeah. Um, and then one thing also just I really appreciate about the show is just like when mockumentary is done well, it, I think it's one of the, like the funniest things you can do uh, in comedy. I'm just wondering, so like what your experience working in the mockumentary format, kind of like what are the advantages of that? Well, I said before that Jermaine was a stickler about two things. One is vampire rules and the other is documentary rules. Because as when you with that doc, any, it, he insisted that anything that be done would have to be done the way a real documentary crew would do it. So... If the vampires are floating three stories up looking in a window, a regular TV show, you'd want a close-up of them right there, but a documentary crew would not be able to float up with them, so you'd have to look up at, at them. And and there are times when you're like, oh, I really wish we could have a closer shot, or they should be in the that room for this conversation. But by really sticking to those rules, I think it makes it just funnier and more compelling. And also, mm-hmm. Tyke and I have talked about it before, you see shows that start out with the documentary impulse and then they start going like, well, I really want to, right. but we were going to miss this moment. And, and then suddenly all you have is the shaky camera. Yeah, they just give up. After, like, yeah. like District 9 suddenly, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. They started off amazingly like in yeah. that style and then the next thing you know, 
there's another camera crew with the aliens yeah. and they're all hanging out and there's over shoulder shots with the aliens and it's just like a normal drama and about shaky. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So. But those kinds of constrictions, I think, make you be more creative also, mm-hmm. just in general. And then uh, finally, gentlemen, as we wrap up here, just a fun one to end on. If you could make a documentary or mockumentary about any other mystical creature, what would it be? Well, that's interesting. Mystical. Um, Mystical, mythical, fantastical, whatever you prefer. Mm. Hang on, I do have a good answer for this, but I'm ne- now the the uh, I, I, my. I wish Jermaine were here so we could have this argument all over again. We had an episode of the show where um, of this show where it was, it's actually uh, where the the vampires and the Staten Island werewolves come into conflict. And our mm. original solution for it was that they were going to have a sit down, like a mafia style sit down. And the person who would mediate it would be a golem. Um, and, and then Jemaine, then Jemaine argued. We had such long arguments about whether a golem would really exist in the world of vampires <laughs> and what was a golem and, you know, made out of clay and yeah, yeah. the mark on the forehead and all that. So we ended up not doing it. But I still maintain before this series is over, the golem will be part of it. Um, I think I'd, uh, either ghosts, think, uh, ghosts. I think ghosts would be pretty. Fun. How are you going to? Oh, I guess they're they're see through. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, this is a bit. A lot of it would just be empty footage. So <laughs> the easiest show to ever. Easy it's just, just, just like just you're going the camera around in yeah. an empty room and then just do a voiceover later. That'd <laughs> oh, be fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being here today, and I'm very excited for people to see the show. Thank, thank you. you. On March 28th, NBC's new comedy, Abby's, will premiere. On April 3rd, Amazon will debut its new action drama, Hannah. Critics Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Framke discussed both shows. The first show we're going to discuss this week is Abby's, a new sitcom on NBC from the universe of Mike Shore, who is a producer on it, although not the creator. Um, I know you, Caroline, are reviewing the show for us, and... I'm curious how it fits into the general sensibility of NBC's comedy block, the sure shows, the non-sure shows. Like, what is, how does it play into their general comedy strategy right now? Ooh, that's a good set of questions. <laughs> All right, uh, to tackle a piece of it, uh, Mike Sure, of course, is the creator of The Good Place, Parks and Rec, producer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is now on NBC. So he's really um, cornering the market on NBC comedies, which I'm all for. He's a smart producer. Uh, but Abby's is a little different for him. It is created by Josh Melmoth, who is mostly known for being a writer on New Girl. He was also on Superstore. Neither of those are multicams. This one is, which means it was filmed in front of a live studio audience, though, as Abby's will remind you at the beginning of every episode, it's a live outdoor audience because that's kind of one of their gambits here is that they film it on a set in L.A. and it is outdoors. Um, It takes place in a makeshift bar. It's an illegal bar. Let's just say that Um, in the backyard of... uh, Abby, who is played by Natalie Morales, who's very funny and good, and I'm excited to see her anchor a show for the first time in a while. Uh, And it's basically, she has created her own bar in her backyard that has all her own rules, and she's got her own set of regulars and all the quirks therein. 
Uh, I've seen three episodes, and I liked it. I think it definitely is figuring itself out, but that's kind of how it goes with any comedy in the beginning because you're, the cast is figuring out their dynamics with each other. The writers are clocking their cast to figure out where their strengths are. So I think it will, as most comedies do, need a few more episodes to really click into place. But again, it comes from really strong people. It's got a really good cast, um, even aside from Natalie. There's, let's see, we got Nelson Franklin, who if you don't recognize him, the name, you will recognize his face. He's been on so many other things, including New Girl and Veep. Uh, We've got, let's see, Neil Flynn, who again, the name you might not recognize, but the middle, he's the janitor on Scrubs. Like he's been around, he's super reliable. Uh, And then I'm really excited to see Jessica Chaffin in this. She's- Oh, awesome, yeah. Yeah, she's a super funny comedian. So we've got a really good group of people here, and I think the also obviously a bar setup is something that NBC is probably excited to see back on its schedule. Uh, the Abbey's casting crew knows that you're going to make Cheers comparisons. They're flattered and a little nervous about it, obviously. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of the most successful comedies ever made of all time, and yeah. sure has been very upfront about it saying that that's his favorite show of all time. He reveres it, and obviously this is him and his team trying to sort of make a run at figuring out their own spin on it. I mean, it's not Cheers, but nothing is. (laughs) Yeah, and I imagine the kind of outdoor, airy setting, the LA-ness of it all... It's technically set in San Diego. (laughs) Okay, so the Southern California-ness of it all differentiates it from kind of the... Closed-off Bostonian-ness of Cheers. Totally. Um, yeah, I'll be very interested to see. I feel like it's an interesting spin on the multicam. I, on currently on NBC, they have Will and Grace, which is filmed in front of a live studio audience, but that does feel pretty artificial by on purpose. Like it's it's kind of very old school sitcommy, and I think that the outdoor setting at least presents an opportunity for it to feel a little novel. Yeah, and I think um, it's a. I'm glad that you brought up. Will and Grace, because I feel like a lot of multicam sitcoms that are on on now are either reboots or revivals, or they're sort of trying to capture that vibe of sort of a throwbacky format. But Abby's is trying to do something a little bit different in within the multicam format, which I really admire. I think that that's super admirable. Um, there are a couple other firsts that I forgot to mention that oh, yeah. I'm sure NBC will be very excited for me to play. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, but they are cool firsts. Um, so first multicam filmed outside. We've got Natalie Morales is the first Cuban-American to be anchoring um, a network sitcom since Desi Arnaz, which is a, oh, wow. a, a, quite a stretch of time. Yeah, from the very beginning of television to now. Yes. And she is also, her character is the first uh, openly bisexual lead of a network comedy ever. Wow. I believe that's true (laughs) yeah that's a cool set of facts i will be very excited to check that out yeah i think it is worth it and i am excited to see what it grows into uh now shifting gears entirely to a totally different kind of show uh you are reviewing hannah for us which is a new amazon show which if that sounds a little bit familiar to you it should because it is based on the movie of the same name starring saoirse ronan yeah yeah um i was very excited for this because I'm a big fan of the movie, which came out in 2011. It was a young Saoirse Ronan, uh, post-atonement, pre the young adult actress that she is now, um, playing a young teen who had been trained from childhood to be a kind of super soldier. Uh, Eric Bana played her dad. Kate Blanchett was the CIA agent on their trail. Um, 
I think the show should be reviewed on its own and stand on its own. The problem is it's pretty thin gruel. Mm. Um, yeah, it's in kind of expanding out what had been an enigmatic and elliptical story in the film. You never really find out why exactly Hannah's been trained, what her dad is really up to. It's more about very innovative action that the, the movie director Joe Wright filmed very well. In expanding it out to eight episodes on Amazon, it punctures the intrigue. We learn chapter and verse of, you know, where Hannah came from, what the animus is between the CIA and her father, with a CIA agent played by Murray Enos and her father played by Joel Kinnaman, hmm. both of whom are doing fine work. It just, the comparisons, you know, are hard not to make, and everyone kind of suffers by comparison, and it's not their fault. They just... In getting more to do, everything they do is less impactful. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, everyone is trying their best. I can see why it looked like a smart idea for an Amazon that has done really well with some action tent poles. I liked Jack Ryan perfectly okay, and I think, I, although we don't know the numbers, it certainly seemed to do very well for them and achieve what they wanted. Uh Hannah, you know, it doesn't necessarily clear that bar for me, especially because I think the people who will be most excitedly tuning in are people like me who have been remembering that movie since it came out in 2011. It was not a very successful movie commercially. Mm. So I'm kind of like, all right, well, who is this for? (laughs) And how many episodes is it? It is eight episodes. uh, And, you know, I mean, if you're a core action fan, worth checking out, but... It was not. It's not something that I flipped for, and I am the person who should be really into a Hannah adaptation. Well, we'll see how that goes. But the good news is, there's always more TV where that came from. On March 25th, Apple will host an event in which it's expected to announce plans for its new television streaming service. We talked with reporter Joe Watterson. Joe, Apple has a big announcement coming up on Monday, March 25th. What are we going to learn? I thought you were calling me Joe Apple there for a second. Joe I was Apple. very Joe excited. Apple, you've done a great service for this country. <laughs> um, so Apple is at long last expected to unveil details of their streaming service with all of their original shows that they have laid out so far. And um, it's going to be we're hopefully going to learn how they're going to be distributing the shows, and hopefully we're going to actually get to see something from the shows, which has thus far uh, nothing has been released publicly. So exciting. I'm very excited. So what, what, when we talk about those shows, can you give us a rundown? You've been reporting on what Apple has been developing. Diligently. Diligently. Yes, uh, nonstop. Uh, for, <laughs> for the, uh, for the two last years. two years. Yeah. yeah. So now that the big moment is coming when a lot of this stuff is going to be sort of publicly acknowledged, what... Can you remind us what is actually in the hopper there? Sure. So like we just said, um, this has been – they've been announcing projects for the better part of two years now um, with some very big names attached. Um, the first one and one of the most prominent shows they've got is the uh, morning show drama with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, which was picked up for two seasons back in, I believe, November 2017. Um, there's also Defending Jacob, which is going to star Captain America's uh, Chris Evans along with just the recently announced um, Jade Martell and Michelle Dockery will be starring with him in that. 
Um, they've also got a series from uh, starring Brie Larson um, based on an upcoming memoir of a former undercover CIA operative. They've got a comedy from Charlie Day and Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. There's a, a half-hour comedy based on the life of Emily Dickinson with Haley Steinfeld. There's Are You Sleeping with Octavia Spencer. Um, they have their Time Bandit series that they're working on right now that uh, Taika Waititi just boarded. I mean, so just, I mean, there's an unbelievable amount of star power attached to these projects thus far. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they've got to show us on the 25th. Is there going to be a Roseanne reboot? I mean, we can only hope, right? God. <laughs> um, to be clear, there's going to be no <laughs> Roseanne reboot. Yeah, don't start. This is how rumors start, man. Um, so wh- as far as uh, who's going to be there and what, how we, what we might expect from the presentation itself, I mean, I think people are used to these thing, these Apple events being sort of you know cultural happenings. Whenever there's a new iPhone, a Absolutely. new iPad, um, do we have any sense of what what they might be doing uh, in terms of showmanship to roll this packet, this you know sort of slate of shows, and potentially this distribution channel out? Mm-hmm. Um, sources have said that uh, a number of the major stars that I mentioned previously have been invited to attend. Exactly who is going to be there and in what capacity they will be appearing remains to be seen if they will be appearing at all. But I mean, J.J. Um, Abrams uh, has, and we know, has been asked to attend. Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston have been asked. Haley Steinfeld and Jane Krakowski, who is starring with Haley Steinfeld in the Dickinson series, have been asked to attend. So again, wh- if they're going to be appearing on stage, if they're going to be appearing in some kind of video package highlighting, you know, some of the big shows they've got coming out i mean it's going to be very very interesting to see but yeah they've been very very good about keeping this under wraps thus far and as you said when we started talking there's a lot of hope that the the form of distribution for these projects is going to be something that uh that is you know sort of explained at long last Mm -hmm. during this program do we have a sense yet of what that distribution method might be um not so much, no. I mean, based on what I've been able to gather, I mean, it's going to be you know, a standalone service. But then um, we were just talking to our tech reporter, uh, Yanko, who was telling me that um, they're very much expected to have, similar to Amazon, they're going to have kind of standalone channels for, you know, things like Showtime and HBO, exactly which channels will be on. The Apple service remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, considering the fact that, you know, iPhones and iPads and, you know, uh, MacBooks are just everywhere now, I mean, I have to imagine it's going to be something that's kind of just built in into all of their devices, you know, immediately. That's Yanka Rutgers, our our Silicon Valley correspondent. Mm -hmm. Um, How much, as as you and I both know, there is a ton of television programming (laughs) out there. It's too much TV. Peak TV. Peak TV, um, as they like to call it. So how much appetite is there, even when we're talking about premium creators like this, you know, Reese Witherspoon and J.J. Abrams and, you know, Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories is going to be one of these Mm -hmm. programs. Uh, You know, how much appetite in the marketplace is there for, you know, another, uh, another streaming service? That's a very good question. I mean, it's hard to say with this one just because, again, we've seen basically nothing. I mean, Apple held a very small press event um, back in like late January, early February, where they showed some still images for their show uh, For All Mankind, which is the Ronald D. Moore Space Race series they're doing. But there was no footage or anything showed from that. So it's hard to judge. But I mean, in my opinion, I mean, good content is good content. And they've got a lot of star power behind it. So obviously that helps. So I mean, you know, even if one of these shows turns out to be a hit, obviously that's going to be 
a big boost for them. And Apple, of course, being, you know, kind of the preeminent tech company of our time, you have to imagine they're they're going to be able to get this in front of a lot of eyeballs, you know, pretty quickly and easily. Um, and I mean, you know, as you know, we've been talking a lot lately about, you know, the so-called streaming wars that are starting. I mean, this is definitely, I mean, considering the money and the time they've put into this, they're going to be a major player here, um, at least in the early going. So unless they bungle this completely, which is a little hard to imagine right now, I think this is going to, um, this should do very well for them. Joe Apple, thank you for bringing your star power <laughs> and your premium content to this podcast. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with David Farr, executive producer of Amazon's Hannah. 